Hello, everybody. This is Joshua Hatton with One Nation Under Whiskey Podcast. I am joined today, and as always, by my good friend, my business partner, uh, the good Mr. Jason Johnston Yellen. But I'm also joined today with my lovely big fat black cat, Ichabod. Hi, Icky. He doesn't have a mic, so you can't hear him, but we can hear you, Jason. How are you? I'm, I'm fine. <laughs> Second billing to a cat. I like this. <laughs> Let's hear from the cat first. Anyway, to you, Jason. Now, <laughs> <laughs> you know it's it's funny that Ichabod is with me because, and, and we'll get we'll get to the conversation in a little bit. But I, you know, earlier today I was. Uh, going through our conversation with Hamish Martin, uh, who, you know, we'll all hear from him in a little bit. And going back through the conversation, I'd forgotten on the day he had his owl with him the whole he time. Did. <laughs> he did, just in the house, another just, member of the family. Right. And one of the things he said, he said, you know, in, the, in my owl, he's he's got full reign of the house. I could just imagine getting up in the morning. You go to the kitchen. You get your morning cereal. In comes the owl. That's that's just got to be a wild and fun way to live. <laughs> Very Harry Potter esque. I also wondered on the day if he gets screechers from uh, from any distant family <laughs> who are upset with him. <laughs> If you had to choose a wild animal to live with, what would be your wild animal of choosing? I think some in this house already claim I am the wild animal that they choose to, <laughs> to be with. I've become much more like my dad around dinner time, where I become very cross and short-tempered around dinner time. Interesting. Like, and I'm the one in charge of dinner, so I'm not really shouting at somebody to get my dinner on the table. But as I'm making dinner, I'm getting more and more short-tempered. Oh, as you're making dinner. Well, if I've let it go too long and things need to happen quickly right. and I need to be fed, that was always my dad. He'd oh, come in from wow. work, just ravenous and need dinner at five. And and in later life, we found out he was actually diabetic. <laughs> and so with oh, moving wow. blood sugar levels, it does make me wonder. Anyway, so yeah, there, there are some in the house who would say that about him. Um, as somebody who lives with a wildlife ecologist, I've never in my life been allowed to dream about living with a wild animal. So um, I, I don't have an answer. But I imagine tomorrow would want, like maybe not in your house, but like if she had her own little family of deer to collect poop she did. from or she, something. Yeah, well, she she did. She maintained a herd at Washington State University. She was in charge of 45 deer at WSU. There you go. But none of those lived in anybody's houses. That was mm. the, that that part remains frowned upon. And actually, if, if you got reports of people having fawns, then uh, the, the wildlife police would go collect them. Oh, interesting. And invariably bring them to WSU for rehabilitation. There you go. All right. Yeah, yeah. Keep it, keeping wild animals in your house is very, very dangerous, very problematic, and you know. I do remember, however, I grew up watching Grizzly Adams. Hmm. Do you remember the bear that Grizzly Adams had? I do you remember I, his bear? I wish I could say I do, but I don't because I, I really enjoyed that show as a kid too. Yeah, I think the bear was was played, as you talk about. Icky having his little guest appearance today. I think the bear was played by uh, a bear called Hercules. 
and you would often see Hercules in other commercials or on chat shows. Uh, and and I, I could also be conflating two different bears. I know there was also a bear in Scotland that uh, a chap had and, and kept kind of essentially as a pet, but they would do the same thing. They would go into advert. There would be in adverts. They would be on chat shows. So. Yeah. Yeah. The grizzly bear, you know, if you've ever seen grizzly man, you ever, you'd seen like the type of person who would have seen grizzly man right to the end. So two things, a, when you said that that grizzly bear had been played by a, a particular bear, I actually thought you were going to say the bear was played by Alan Alda. But that's that's just where my such range, right? Such, such range. range because he's a, he's he's just a classic actor of the time, right? Uh, Him and Denholm Elliott. I feel like Denholm Elliott could have played a, a Denholm Elliott. Why do I know that? Why can't no, I've got, I picture his no, face? No, I've got the wrong Elliott. I'm thinking of Elliot Gould. Uh, Elliot, Elliot Gould, Gould, I think. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. Denholm Elliott is actually the dean in Indiana Jones. That's Denholm Elliott. Yes, 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 yes. Okay, that's right. I could I couldn't. <laughs> His face wasn't coming to my mind. Uh, so what was your question to me? Um, what was my question to you? <laughs> there was Alan Alda. There was the bear. There was the chat shows. Oh, Grizzly if, Man. if I'd seen Grizzly Man. You know, I haven't seen Grizzly Man. It's mm. something I've wanted to see, but I haven't seen it yet. Yeah. Is we it, don't, it's, it's like no, a it, gruesome... Uh, it doesn't end well. It would be like a free solo... Ended with him falling off the cliff. Spoiler alert, he doesn't. He lives to successfully scale El Capitan. Is it as gruesome as the one with uh, with Leo DiCaprio and the... Oh, you haven't seen The Revenant? <laughs> I haven't seen it. Was that also Alan Alda? Reference. I think The Bear and The Revenant was also Alan Alda. <laughs> In one of his final roles? <laughs> In one of his final roles. <laughs> <laughs> Gosh, could you imagine if, if Hamish has taken the time to listen? But I wonder how that episode ever turned out with me. I'll just I'll just put this in my ears as I'm in the garden picking weeds or while I'm walking up a hill, you know, to go wild swimming. I wonder how those boys did. And then he just listens to it. And, and then that would be... What the, what the actual fuck? What the he, actual fuck? He'd, he'd been spending the past couple decades wondering if he should just boot all the technology out of his house and I think this podcast would be the nail in the coffin and be the straw that broke the camel's back I have to say I yes. went looking for the book he recommended during the during the interview the one about wild swimming mm. and there's a new edition of it coming out in May I want to say mm-hmm. And so I'm, I've, I'm still got that very much on the radar. I don't remember the title of off the top of my head. I have it stored uh, in a, an online booksellers website who makes way more money than, than he does to be pimping them on here. But, but I've got an eye on that. And then the other thing I was going to say was while I was, we were talking to Hamish, I did keep thinking of the book The Third Plate. Yeah. And... Oh. Yeah, th- the third plate by Dan Barber. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And we actually received copies of that book from Matt, Matt Hoffman. Hoffman. Yeah. And we'll be having a, another sit down. It's been far too long. I know we just did the the April Fools extra extra, but we oh actually I'll, I'll follow up with you in that in just a second. But it's been too long since we sat down with the good Matt Hoffman and talked about all things Westland. So we're going to revisit that. So later either in April or the beginning of May, wherever we schedule it, you will have that coming up. 
but the book, The Third Plate, mm-hmm. highly recommend. I, I know our listeners, and it, it really is quite touching when I see it happening, but I know our listeners do follow up on various book recommendations mm-hmm. and some movie recommendations, and they do try things on for themselves. So The Third Plate is well worth your time. It's just beautifully read. It's one of those books that's kind of annoying because you've got this professional chef mm-hmm. who's very well regarded in his industry who then writes an absolutely impeccable text. And you're like, that's not fair. You should have one exemplary talent, not two. You shouldn't be able to both cook and write this yeah, well. So, yeah, right. It, 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 but it is. It is jolly good. And and that's how so many people in 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 acting feel about the triple threats, right? The ones that can sing, dance, and act. Like you shouldn't have all of remarkable. these talents, but some people do. My mine currently is celebrities who have their careers and then launch tequila brands. That's the that's the that's the new double threat, and I'm like that that doesn't seem fair. Come on. You're you're that handsome or you're that beautiful yeah. and you've made all that money and you have a tequila brand? Like, come on, sit down, leave some for the rest of us. We could go the other way. We could start an acting career, Jason. Let's do it. Let's do it. Boom. If this podcast has shown anything, it's that I can act interested almost all the time. <laughs> well, speaking of which... I tell you, man, going back to this conversation with Hamish. Yes. Go ahead. Stop me, please. The one thing I wanted to circle back on from a second ago. Yeah. Was a follow up to an extra extra. Talk oh, about yes. synergy. Yes, 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 Gosh. please. Using mm-hmm. One Nation Under Whiskey to follow up on extra extra. Um, <laughs> that is some synergistic, bloody blah, blah, buzzword insert here. So. The April 1st did happen. The 24-hour auction did happen. The auction website wasn't ideal. For those of us who are maybe used to to bidding on whiskeys, this was much more of a straightforward, no two ways about it, make a bid, move on with the rest of your life. Um, And so we don't know the final numbers on the bottles, mm-hmm. but Westland are going to make an announcement letting the general public know how much was raised. And and right now, our, our kind of ballpark understanding, and I, and I hope this doesn't take away anything from the actual announcement, but it looks like it might be around $13,000, $14,000, something like that. Given where bottle prices were before the auction closed mm-hmm. and how much farther they could have gone. There was no add-ons. Any listeners who are used to auction sites will know that oftentimes there's software that doesn't allow sniping. Yeah. So if you place a bid in the last second, the auction gets extended five minutes. And so there's always room to get in a final bid. This auction did not have that. It actually had a hard end date and a hard end time. At midnight, right. And, yeah. s- and so I know bottles didn't go too much farther beyond where they were sitting, but it looks like about $13,000, $14,000 raised for Big Table, That's which awesome. for an April Fool's, which is a day I'm not particularly fond of, I think is, you know, really, I think it's run its course. 
I thought they did something really fantastic and really remarkable with those April 1st efforts with the inheritance. It's it's absolutely wonderful. Like let's say your let's say your number is correct. Let's say it's let's round up to 15,000. That's on average $600 per bottle. That's pretty damn good. And so a lot of people out there being generous with their money, Westland being generous with their whiskey to raise money for for a very good cause. It's really admirable and and it was nice that they could have a good bit of fun while while doing good work. Yeah, it was it was exciting. Yeah, kudos I, to them. I, I didn't win a bottle. Did you win a bottle? Me neither. We do have friends. In fact, our very uh, our very own dear Jess won a bottle. I will say no more than that. It is not my place to speak out of school. But yeah, she did. And then very dear friends who I don't know if they want to remain anonymous or not. I'm not going to share their business, but uh, they know who they are and they also won. Mm -hmm. And so kudos to them as well. And then we also have very dear friends who were sniped at the last second. And they have had much more difficult weekends. But every, you know, so many of our friends got in on this and had a ton of enthusiasm around it. So. Yeah. Yeah, the, the ones that I were looking at, there were three casks that were Pinot de Charente casks. And I feel as if I kept on talking about the Pinot de Charente casks in the podcast... And wouldn't you know it, those were the ones that seemed to go for a bit higher than some of the others. So I I don't know if there is a correlation there. I just know from now on I'm going to either not speak my mind or just lie a lot. I've done the exact same thing with Colhoman Anticipation. Mm-hmm. I've talked about my love of it, Jared Card's love of it, Travis Williams's love of it. My love of it? If you look, if you look at Colhoman in auctions, invariably anticipation is now the highest priced <laughs> bottle. <laughs> yeah, of course it is. And I, I said the same thing as you. I'm, I'm sure I've got nothing to do with this. However, I will be keeping my mouth shut going forward. And then I know that I won't because, you know, Christ, I talk for a living. So, yes. Anyway, 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 with, with the synergy neatly, tidily, put to bed. Mm-hmm. Let's bring the focus back to our dear Hamish, who will be the focus of today's episode. I have a question for you on behalf of our listeners. Is if someone is seeing the masthead or someone has seen this pop up in their their um, subscription, they might be wondering, why are we talking to Hamish the gin guy? Mm-hmm. And so how did this come about, Joshua? Because th- this was you, and, and you put it in front of me, and I went along with it wholeheartedly at your recommendation. But how did this come about? In April 2019, uh, Sam and, and Chris over at Impex put together a trip for all of the Impex sales reps. Hmm. And at that time, we had been in conversations with, with Hamish and the people at the gin distillery with, with the idea that maybe we can work together, maybe we can start importing them. And, and you know, Sam, Sam is tight with, with some of the people there, right? There's, there's long, long relationships, um, right? And so, so I said, okay, we're, we're going to be in Scotland, we're going to be near Edinburgh, let's go and check it out. 
And so we all went to the distillery and I'll just put it out there, right? The the, the garden is gorgeous. The distillery <laughs> is very cool. The drying room is is stunning. We had a delicious lunch. I had a lovely tea. It was a beautiful day. Blah 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 blah. <laughs> Hamish Martin. Holy cow. He's one of these guys. And I told you, he's one of these guys that he felt like the Steve Jobs of, of gin, right? He's, he's one of these personalities that, A, he's incredibly charismatic. He's wonderfully passionate uh, about plants, about the earth, uh, about botany. And, and it was infectious, and part of what made going around the garden so wonderful was him. He, he refuses to walk on the ground with shoes on. Like he just, he needs to be close to the earth. And you'd say, okay, this guy's just putting on a show and, you know, he's a salesman and so on and so forth. No, he's just a a guy who loves the earth and loves working with the earth and with plants and what it can be done and how it can, um, how it can make our lives a, a better life if we look after ourselves and we look after the the earth and like, right? I'm I'm starting to regurgitate some of the things he said, but he really stuck with me, and I was incredibly moved by him and by his passion and by the processes that that he explained in making these gins. And you know me. Like you, I don't get excited about gin, just like I don't get excited about, you know, other non-aged spirits, mezcal and, and, and other agaves aside. But what he's creating is really quite different than anything else on the market. And and it's one of those things that you can't fully understand unless you taste it. But I, I you know, I made a gin and tonic with Haida today with it with the Damask Rose, uh, not the Damask Rose, yeah, the the Damask Rose and Juniper, and uh, Damask Rose and Juniper gin, and it was, it was glorious. I, I made it for Haida. It was the gin was gold. You add tonic to it, it becomes pink. That's all natural. You hear it in the conversation. But I made her the gin and tonic, and she sipped it. And she said, "This is this is just summer in a glass. It's perfect. It's great." Mm. And and it just goes to show you that that his passion for plants is so incredibly evident in the gins that he makes. And that's why I made the allusion to the third plate in in hearing from you after that trip about how engaging he is and how warm and welcoming but then also how passionate he is. It's not a guy with a gin brand looking to market it with a mm. bunch of stories. The way you know Dan Barber, the chef, has a restaurant, but he's not out there leading the, the chefy part, the restaurant part up front. He's leading the plants and the earth and the future and is more than happy to talk about other people mm -hmm. doing these types mm. of endeavors with plants. And that was really my takeaway from Hamish was we spoke with a human being 
for yes. a, an hour, <laughs> you know, you know, however, however long it was. I wasn't watching the clock. But it was just with a human being who was passionate about the world around him. And that's infectious. Absolutely infectious. He reminded me quite a lot. Um, though, though the person that I'm about to mention, I don't think can talk as eloquently um, as Hamish does. And I say this, he's one of my oldest and dearest friends. Um, my, my buddy Al Femiak, Uncle Al, who we also mentioned in the conversation, the two very similar people that, that have this connection to the earth that if they can't cut the umbilical cord, right? And if, and if that's threatened, all hell will break loose. Like, that's what keeps Al sane, and and that's what keeps the the earth plants. That's what keeps Hamish sane. And I think that's one of the things that I that made me connect with Hamish as well, because I saw so much of my buddy Uncle Al in Hamish. Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. Well, I I think it's probably enough from us for the moment. We should probably bring in this wonderful human being. Let's do it. Firstly, thank you for joining us. We really appreciate you taking out the time to do that. As you likely know, the name of the podcast is called One Nation Under Whiskey. So we are, in fact, a whiskey podcast. However, we've, uh, we've taken some detours. We've talked about rum. We've talked about mezcal. We've, we've even interviewed actors and comedians and musicians, you know, all sort of based trying to stay within the rubric of, of spirits or connecting it back to whiskey in some way or the passion within spirits. And so I imagine there's many of our listeners who are whiskey-focused that don't necessarily know your name and don't necessarily know your gins. So I wonder if you could just give us a brief introduction of, your, of yourself and sort of your your life mm-hmm. up until <laughs> you 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 starting well i guess up and up until now what was your what was your spark within spirits how did you okay. yeah how did you get to gin and did it start with gin <laughs> i'm glad i'm glad uh, this could take a while but i'll try and do it quickly um it's actually really good how you started with with whiskey because I'm going to just take you right back. My father used to be production director of the old DCL, Diageo, Guinness. Um, he actually pushed through the definition of Scotch whiskey um, through Parliament. So you wouldn't have the definition of Scotch whiskey if it wasn't for him. He got an OBE for his commitment to quality of Scotch. Uh, he started the Keepers of the Quake right at the very beginning with Lord McFarland. And he also started the International Brewing and Distilling School at Harriet Watt. So I have spent my whole life um, with whiskey. Um, You know, I had holidays when uh, I would work in bottling plants, Port Dundas, you know. So I had my whole sort of education in it from a very, very young, young age, always been surrounded by it. Um, 
trying to do this very quickly for you. Um, I actually, I'm, I'm, I know I don't sound it. I'm 100% Scott. I actually wear my, you can't see, but obviously I wear my kilt full time, uh, which makes it a bit awkward sledging if other people are about at the moment because we've got a lot of snow. So I'm 100% Scott um, through and through on, on both sides. I'm very proud of that. I'm very proud of actually Scotch whiskey and everything it does for Scotland. And very quickly, I went into, straight from university, I went into a long time ago, uh, I went into the army, but um, I tore my knee ligaments very, very early on in there and was medically discharged and was left at that point, well, can't be in the army. And I used to play a lot of rugby uh, for Scotland schools and 21s and all that. It was like, well, what am I going to do? And I had a passion for wine at that stage, funny enough, Joshua. And um, my father retired in 1991 as production director of, of Guinness or whatever, the Diageo now, and could see that I was wanting to get in the wine trade. And I'd started up on my own in London at that point, selling wine to restaurants. And my father said to me, well, listen, why don't we make a Scotch whiskey? So actually, we produce something called Inverarity. Some of your drinkers might have had it in the past. Um, mm -hmm. we, we produced Inverarity as a single malt and, and as a blended whiskey. In fact, actually, Deloche Vineyards were our UK importers at one point. And uh, so I've really built Inverarity vaults up um, with whiskey, but as a wine company in Scotland. And my father, unfortunately, passed away maybe uh, 16, 17 years ago. Um, and I carried on with Inverarity. But the, the reality was that I was in the wine trade. I built up at that stage the largest independent wine merchants in Scotland, supplying all the Michelin-starred restaurants. And we did a lot of own label work with the whiskey. So we did everything from Hollywood Palace mm -hmm. to the Ritz, the Savoy. We did the Scottish Parliament, etc. I came a bit disillusioned with with wine and and growing the business and i've always been passionate about plants about growing the grapes that made the wine about being involved with nature but i didn't realize this i'm probably giving you too much information actually but no, no this, this is, is fascinating is keep going here okay yeah, yeah, yeah. um so really from my <laughs> perspective i i didn't want to ever live life and i don't think any of us should by going well i wish i did or what if my real passion changed from the grape to herbs and gardens and plants and nature. And I left everything that I knew. Um, I sold in variety, gosh, 12 years ago now, and retrained as herbologist. I went to the Botanic Gardens in Edinburgh, um, for two, studied for two years with them. But actually, probably more interesting, I spent quite a lot of time in North America, actually, with, um, I suppose you'd call him a, a, a medicine man called Wolf. And that really changed my whole perspective on how to work with plants, how to work with nature. I worked with plants as a, as a herbal medicine, but to work with nature as a as a as a relationship was eye opening. I also worked with a, a witch doctor in South Africa. Uh, went over to them, and really, when you sit at the feet of somebody who's truly connected to nature, you learn to shut up and listen. You know, it's not for books, it's not for writing, it's not for words. You take it internally and you get rid of your ego and you realize there's the strongest relationship there that has to be earned, a respect that needs to be earned. And that really started my whole journey. I had no idea where it was going to take me. I just knew my rest of my life had to be with plants and with herbs specifically. And when I was living in, in uh, Edinburgh, we were renting a flat at the time in, in, in the center of town. I found a property just 
outside Edinburgh, um, a cottage where I went to have a look at it. It wasn't right. But as I drove up this single track road, I saw this huge derelict glass house. And I parked the car, jumped out and uh, stood in front of this glass house. Now, I'm going to use the word weeds. My real passion is indigenous wild plants. That's what I'm passionate about. So when I looked down this glass house, smashed glass, uh, concave roofs, filled with wild indigenous plants that most people wouldn't want. I had a, a dream or a deja vu of my dream the night before in its entirety with the vines, the peaches, the paths. And I thought, right, guys, I hear you. I get it. And I gave my number to the next door neighbor. And literally nine months later on, we get the keys to this seven and a half acre derelict plot on the outskirts of Edinburgh. Um, I do remember telling, I had three kids at the time and with lives, and I said, there's good news and bad news, guys. Good news is I found somewhere to live. Bad news is there's no house. So uh, welcome to a static caravan living. Um, we, we, we lived in a static caravan for three years. We ended up being four kids, five dogs, a cat, actually. And we spent two years to open this garden called the secret herb garden our only objective to open yeah. this garden um was to create a green space where people could come and feel the energy of the plants uh feel relaxed i mean josh you've been to the gardens i know you, you know you've got mm -hmm. some idea about what that type of energy is that we've always tried to create mm -hmm, indeed. and my wife yeah. just wanted to have a, a have a cafe and sell vintage furniture and i just wanted to sell herbs and you know, to the fact that we, what, we sell over 600 different varieties of herbs. But it soon, we then built a house on site, uh, you know, three years later on, and you got a mortgage. And it was like, oh, my God, we got a mortgage. How do, you know, you have, to sell, you have to sell a lot of herbs and a lot of cups of coffee to pay for a mortgage. And um, as a herbalist and, and, and somebody who adores plants, I, I'm a great believer you've got to experiment. I always say uh, there is limitless possibilities with limitless imagination. And I had created this. Uh, I still had a three litre still. So for two reasons, one, I've known about distilling since I was a boy, and two, I was distilling actually herbal extracts to make tinctures and, and everything else. I was distilling plant material. And uh, we, at that point, we had the largest grow, well, we grow the largest amount of apothecary roses in the, in the UK. And I'd been playing with those and I ended up wow. making a gin from them that turned pink when you added tonic and it tasted of the roses completely naturally. Color came from the petals. Mm -hmm. The rose flavor was coming from it because I distilled the roses separately. And then, and we just drank it at home for a laugh. And um, <laughs> when, we, when we ended up getting a mortgage, it was Libs are saying, Hamish, you know, you're going to have to make a business with this gin. I was going, oh no, I don't want to go back to the booze trade. I, I, you know, I spent my whole life in it. And then I suddenly realized I'm not actually in, in the booze trade at all, though I'm making gin. I'm telling everybody how amazing nature is by the botanics that go mm -hmm. into it. So mm -hmm. I felt completely comfortable to say, do you know what? Let's do it. We had no money, uh, but I managed to get some investors and we converted the barn into an ATEX rated still room. And we produced our first gin, I think, in uh, October 2017. We launched with the rose and the lavender. And my daughter at that stage was uh, 17, started the business with me, who now runs all, my, all the social media and, and everything. And that was it. We started making gin in uh, 2017. We hand harvest. So for, from my perspective, you know, it's all about the plants that make it, not, not the still, not the water, not the wood. 
This is nature that creates it. We use no chemicals here whatsoever. Um, as a gin distillery, we employ in the height of summer, five full-time gardeners, two full-time harvesters. You know, so this isn't like a gin distillery that says, oh, you know, this is what we do. You actually come and see us. You can come and see the gardens and come and see what we do. So we're actually doing it for real. And it was a godsend that we did it, to be honest with you, because if we hadn't done it, I don't think we would have survived, um, to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. So it was really all due to the rose. So we built a big, big apothecary rose garden. So I call it to the homage of the rose. It's sort of... Uh, it was the plants that saved the day. Nothing to do with me, nothing to do with Libs. Actually, the plants, and specifically the apothecary rose said, look guys, I can help you here. I can make you a unique product which has no chemicals, changes colors and a bit of fun. And it says how amazing the botanics are. So that, in a very long-winded way, sorry guys, it, it bring, brings, brings you up to speed to where we are. I love it. Yeah, that that was that was brilliant, Hamish, and I really like how you put it that that it was the plants that that saved the day, and it, it's the plants that are giving you a livelihood and 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 feeding your wife and children and dogs and cat and owl, totally, uh, <laughs> and so forth. But if you wouldn't mind, I, I'd like to back up a little bit. What was it about? the plants that that turned you on so much that that attracted you to going down that route that's a really good question i think um i, I wanted to get to know that answer too at the outset and it's not until you go backwards in 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 um, your own life and try to sort of because we're all so busy looking forward sometimes it's nice to be, take a little bit of time out to reflect on where you've ended up being and why mm. subconsciously I realized that um, from a very young age my old man was was inspirational he would you know we would go out we lived at the foot of the Pentlands and funny enough and ironically I'm looking at them now you know I still live here um, and we would go out in all weather uh, camping um, I was very lucky to go to a school outside Edinburgh as well, but I used to, we boarded there, but any opportunity, I'd be running. I'd run up the hills. I would be, I'm addicted to wild swimming. And I bought my first, I bought a, uh, I had a, a very small piece of land when I was 20. And I, I can't tell you the joy of having a, a very small piece of land and, and to start to get my hands in the soil, to start working it, to start creating and seeing mother nature and all her beauty and, it was this, it was that sort of detail that I got. I'd been running, you know, I used to do a lot of hill runs and uh, be out there. And I, I still go wild swimming. I go wild swimming from March to um, September up here every morning at 5.30 or 5. I'm, I'm up in the Pentlands. Uh, Good grief. Uh, I'm addicted to it. And, and, and anytime wow. I see water, I'm in water. So there's this deep connection that I never really made that link until you realize that actually, well, you know, most of my life I've been, and once I bought that soil when I was 20, I never stopped growing. You know, I'd grow vegetables for, for people for fun. I never had a business, but, and grow them and, and enter competitions. And I, I just wanted my, I just wished, not wanted, my whole life to revolve around plants, specifically herbs. And I didn't realize that actually most of my life had been built around nature. You know, I bought my first cottage in the middle of nowhere, so I could be in the middle of nowhere. Mm. And, and I suppose that's it. And then making that decision that actually 
I need to do something that can communicate how beautiful she is. So from my perspective, I can get people here who are passionate gardeners and completely explode their brains by saying, well, sorry, but there are no chemicals here. These plants, so when I do, when I do talks about botanics and plants, I, tell, I ask people, what plants do you not like that you would call your enemy, which breaks my heart anyway. And you know, if they're a good bunch, they'll know lots of plants, say there's 12, 13, and I'll just spend my whole talk taking each one of those plants and turn it, flipping on its head and saying, what a gift you have by it growing in your garden. And that's how I, that's how I see it, is that, yes, we're making gin, yeah, but we're growing the botanics and at every opportunity, I can tell um, a mixologist, we have some of the best bartenders who come out here and the excitement when they can see that they can pick, I'll go with them, any plants, make any gins that they like. We have, oh, I would say, well over 200 varieties of plants that work well in gin here. So you can imagine the possibilities of what we can actually create here is, is enormous. So trying to get back to your question, it, ne it wasn't until I realized to be brave enough to make that decision to spend the rest of my life with something, but turn my back on everything that I had known. And I won't, I won't say that wasn't comfortable. That was three years of wholly uncomfortable, not knowing where I was going, trying to work out how to earn a living and follow a path that I felt was true to me. And, you know, I, I, nature has a way of, uh, of communicating. Uh, sometimes I need it to bang like a drum and that other times she's so subtle, but you just have to be awake to the subtlety of, of how, how those messages are, are given to you. And I know that might sound a bit odd. It probably sounds a bit odd when I'm saying it out loud, but I know it to be true to me, you know, that once you form a connection and see the beauty, and I tell kids all the time, you know, I know you're going to want to, you know, travel the world and, and see, you know, whether it be Niagara Falls or the highest mountains, but we forget what beauty is growing at our very feet in plants that are actually there the whole time saying hello to you, knowing where, knowing the piece of earth that you're from, you can spend a lifetime getting to know a small piece of earth. Anyway, I, I digress. Um, yeah. Sorry, I get once I get going, I, I get I get going, no, no, and I can't see your faces to know whether they're saying "shut up, Hamish." <laughs> no, 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 not in the slightest. Go ahead, Jason. I, I sir. did have a question for you though, because I'm in listening to you. Obviously, I hear the passion, and and I love the passion, and and Joshua and I bring passion to what we do with with single cast nation and and whiskey and so forth. But I also, from a moment ago, when you said we got a mortgage mm -hmm. and we realized we really had to run a business if we were going to have a, a roof over our heads. But now in listening to you, you, know, you, you sound a little bit like a hippie and, and I don't mean that in any negative way. Do you, do you have an internal conflict between the business side and the, the being one with nature side? What does that look like? Well, that, that's again, a really, that's a brilliant question because yes, there is a <laughs> there is a conflict, a, an absolute conflict. But then I'm a great believer in life being about a balance. That I don't ever mm. believe that one side of the scale, or whatever you're whatever you're weighing up, is right. Life is there between between two, and so for me, you know, I've got five kids, everything else. Um, I have to make a living, but I'm lucky enough to be making a living and doing what I believe is important to do. But mm -hmm. in saying that about building, you know, I'm, I'm not a, 
I'm not, uh, maybe I'm a salesman. I don't know. But my, <laughs> my, my perspective of what I'm selling is selling how beautiful nature is without chemicals and for farmers to learn as well. But um, the conflict I have on a personal level is sitting on a computer. I mean, I'm sitting outside now. I know I showed you. So, you know, I feed all the wild birds and and literally there must be 50, 60 birds outside my window at this present time. Mm. And I feed them right on my windowsill. I've got my owl in with me now. I'm still always connected. It's so important for me to be rooted. Every day, even yesterday, I went and did some potting on, though I only had an hour. I got my hands dirty. You know, um, I get up early every morning. I find winter a brilliant time of that recuperation and pl- replanning and, and everything else. But come March, the 21st of March, the you know, the spring solstice, I'm up every morning. I have my hour and a half to myself. I'm in water. Uh-huh. I'm in the middle of nowhere. And that is my connection period. In winter, I, I try and rest. Um, you know, I don't worry about lying in. We've got young kids, you never lie in. Um, all of that. And, you know, we are, we're moving the business to, um, onto another level. Uh, we've got it to where it is now. I think we employ 24 people, you know, within the whole, wow. within the whole distillery. We do um, an own label, well, joint co-branding with Fortnum and Masons, Harvey Nicks. You know, I do joint branding with M&S. You know, our story is one of, of real product and real authenticity. Um, and to make that next move, I mean, this is again probably too much information, but we, you know, we've got a new MD that's going to come on board in first uh, of April. He's already picking up the mantle now, and and that's you know that's quite a that's quite a for, I think for a lot of people that brought you know involved in creating their own business to be able to say, okay, guys, um, I'm stepping back. I'm stepping back from the bit of the business that actually, uh, you know, I have to really forced myself to do the, the getting up, the do, uh-huh. doing the sales and doing all the, to be able to say, look, let me do what I do best. And I do best working with the plants, growing them, selling them, working with them, coming up with ideas for the gins and doing this, you know, speaking to you and, and telling you how I feel about them. That that's what uh-huh. I, that's what I do best. And so therefore that connection, I work quite hard at making sure that I'm connected during winter uh, with nature. I really do. And then in the summer, it's so much easier. So it's always there, but it's something I'm always aware of. Do you know, it's like a, it's like a relationship that it's pretty much like your oxygen to breathe. You know, you, you, you start to not breathe if you, if you disconnect yourself, for, you know, for, for too long. So for me, it's, a, it's in every process. It's, uh, and again, you might think I'm, I'm hippie, but I'm, I'm not. I've got, I wear boots, and uh, although I've got my kilt on, um, <laughs> it's the beauty in the small things, you know, planting the yeah. seeds. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm hoping that that's answered your question. There is a conflict, yes, but I try to resolve it every day, every living hour, and every minute. So you know, my office is not like a normal office, you know. There's a, I've got two dogs actually in here at the moment and an owl and the birds outside. So, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm curious, Hamish, and, and this may be just a, a quick throwaway question, but in listening to you and 
talking about that communing with nature and being among it and taking energy from it, should I assume that you've read Nan Shepherd, The Living Mountain? Yes, I love that book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think if you read that book, I don't know if your listeners have read that. I mean, she, yes. So I, I look at it as that she sometimes takes it to a male-female extent. For me, uh-huh, for, uh-huh. Me, for me, it's both. You know, it's it. There is both energies are are there, and there is that connection. And she writes beautifully about it, uh, absolutely beautifully in in her in her perspective, her eyes. And um, so yes, and of course she was from the Karen Karen Gore Manton, so she knew mm-hmm. those inside mm-hmm. out. Yeah, the the reason I ask is oftentimes we'll we'll mention books in passing on the podcast, and then our listeners will go and buy them, and then they'll write in and say, "Oh, I read such and such." You know, you mentioned it on the podcast, and so I wanted to make sure that the Living Mountain was on radars uh, uh, within the podcast and definitely. endorsed by Hamish. So. Definitely. Well, if I can definitely. if I can add one book into that as well. Please. Um, yeah, it's called Waterlog by Roger Deacon. Unfortunately, he died quite early on. But as I said to you, I'm addicted to wild swimming and, and um, mm. not wild swimming with a wetsuit. I, I hasten to add, I wild swim with, with make sure too much information for your listeners. But I'll make, let's just put it this way. There cannot be anybody nearby <laughs> when, 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 when I go swimming, because it's part of that connection that's so important. The, you know, this, yeah. the flesh and yeah. the water. Um, so, yeah, Roger Deacon's Waterlogged is, is um, an awe-inspiring book that will get any of your readers to think, well, actually, you know, there's a river there. Obviously, we need to be respectful. And I I might just give it a dip and and see how that feels. Mm. Oh, fantastic. I've got it. I've got it on my web browser right now. I'm looking at Waterlog by Roger Deacon. So fantastic. I will check that out. It's written poetry, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. It's amazing. It, it, it reminds me of uh, growing up, me and, and an old friend of mine, Jason, you, you've met him before, uh, Al Famiak, we all call him Uncle Al. Mm-hmm. And in high school, when when school was out and the summer was upon us, not, not a day went by that we didn't walk a good two miles to a somewhat hidden swimming hole. And there'd be all sorts of rocks and points to jump into that swimming hole. And, and that is what made us feel whole, mm. being mm-hmm. able to just mm-hmm. get in that water every day. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I've been doing that to my kids since they were, and still do, even in the summer, they would have cold baths. That you just need, my oldest one's now 23, but um, I'm glad to say that they will go swimming. Even my daughter's boyfriend who uh, <laughs> took a picture last week breaking the ice to get into I nearly killed him, actually. <laughs> that's, another sto- that, that's another story. I took him wild swimming up north with the, with my kids, and they're used to it. And I said to him, look, turn back now. You know, I don't want you, you know, risky. He said, no, no, I'm fine. No, he wasn't. We had to, sw- we had to rescue swimming back. <laughs> but... I had to impress your girlfriend's dad. Though. Yeah, exactly. It wasn't a great start. I nearly died for you, babe. <laughs> so I couldn't believe it when I saw a picture of him uh, breaking the ice to go in the water. And I mean, I've, I've taken oh. the kids, you know, my, my idea of a holiday for them has been traveling the UK, finding, you know, finding these, you know, doing a bit of research, finding these wild swimming holes and traveling to them and camping out. I did. I took the three older ones up for, you know, um, a wild camp. 
in summer doing exactly that. So yeah, it's 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 you know you, you hope, that, and I think at some point they know that when things get tough, there's always somewhere to go. You know, there's a safety blanket there mm. that's that's ready for you. And I think if I could only install that in them to know that actually nature's there to be communed with and is there for you. Um, and when you're, you know, I think we all find solace in it. Um, yeah. And I think that's the reality of mm-hmm. it. Just thinking yeah. of internal struggles and, and like Jason's previous question where he thought it may be a throwaway question, maybe this one is too, I don't think Jason's was and... and Maybe if I'm lucky, this this one won't be either. But, um, you know, a lot of the discussion has been around nature and communing with it and connecting with it. And my gut tells me connecting with it as it is, mm-hmm. as we find it. But when making gin, you're taking nature and you are manipulating it. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts there with with manipulation of, of that nature for yeah. you know a, a product where, where in the end I mean alcohol in a way is is a poison but it's also pleasurable and your gins of course bring amazing flavor I want I want to talk a, a little bit of the technical end of that later but what are your thoughts around the manipulation of, of nature. Yeah, so Joshua, I think a couple of things there, you'll need to remind me to come back to that. There's two things there. One is the, the word manipulation is, I think in, in this whole thing, I've been manipulated to make sure, I know this is going to sound very odd, to make sure the message is there. You know, at no point have I sat down to decide on a business plan. At no point did I think, oh, this is, you know, this is how we're going to make our money. Um, you know, at no point did I think, oh, I need to do this for me. It's never been that yeah. direction. Yeah. That direction yeah, yeah, has yeah. always been, what am I able to do to help? You know, and my question is, show me the way. Show me what I can yeah. do to help. So it was really, I've been manipulated in a beautiful way. The, you know, the, the, the gins that we do, you know, I think you've got the lemma being a, I think it's the apothecary rose, it's the apothecary rose and the d- damask rose. I think you've got the damask rose as well, which we, which we grow, is this whole aspect of not thinking. So the only way I can work with them is actually turning my thinking brain off and allowing them to do the work for me, telling me what, what works. So, yes, we make gin. But if you think about it on the second point to that and is if you think in herbal medicine ways and how I came to the gin isn't because I wanted to make a gin as a marketing thing. I'm making tinctures. Tinctures are mm-hmm. as old as the human races. You know, we've been working with how to extract plant material into alcohol just happens to be a fantastic way of extracting certain plant chemicals. Fact. Sure. Water is also mm-hmm. a fantastic way of extracting uh, plant chemicals. We actually use both of those methods to help make our gin, but I, I can talk about that later on. So basically, the the fact that I'm making a gin is actually a bit. I know we're not allowed because uh, modern science doesn't like you telling you that you get your medicine from your back door and all of that sort of stuff. <laughs> once once again, it's a balance. Modern medicine is ninety percent plant extracts. When we work with herbalism, you're just you, you're you're taking the whole plant into your body, and you're allowing your body, which is infinitely intelligent, to pick out those chemicals that your body actually needs. So 
I'm trying to get back to the, the manipulation. I think I've been probably manipulated in a way that helps me to communicate how best to work with plants. You know, and when, if you, when you came to the garden, you, we have all these wild corridors. So I invite nature in the whole time. We've got 12 beehives. There's no chemicals. This is, this is I know, again, I tell kids about who wants a friend that takes from you all the time. Modern agriculture is a monocultural um, abusive relationship where it takes, takes, takes. Now, that's mm-hmm. not friendship. A loving friendship is one of giving and taking loving and receiving that love too and so what i work really hard here on the land is to show that is possible to make a living on a seven and a half acre plot that employs 24 people for the distillery and in the height of summer 18 people in a cafe and we're growing all the botanical you know we we have a veg garden that we again no chemicals we have a full-time i haven't even told you that you know we have a full-time guy that that's all he does is grow the veg and, and the summer is one and a half and that veg and salad and everything goes to the cafe you know um it compounds the story of of well you know it's a balance and it's a relationship where i'm i'm giving as much as i can give back and she gives her bounty back in in a way that that's in my opinion how farming should be you know a balance um, so, mm-hmm. yep, in summary, I am manipulated, but I'm producing a product that is time honored by, by what we've been working with plants before pharmaceutical business came along. And in fact, I think 50% of the population, world population still works with plants naturally rather than, um, and all I was doing was playing with plants and experimenting with them to let them have a voice to see which direction we should go. And it wasn't part of the plan. I mean, we make, I make herbal teas. If you have a look at our website, I think it's, you know, the All Curiosity Distillery, you're, and our new, you know, we're actually a secret garden gin and a secret garden distillery. But if you have a look at our website, you know, I hand harvest and we grow our own fresh herbal teas, which are our own, you know, hand-picked tea, obviously all dried. Uh, we do soaps that we use our botanics in. You know, we've got, um, oh, we sell our own honey. You know, so it's not, I'm not mm-hmm. just using the gin. The gin just happens mm-hmm. to be the main vehicle to actually allow us to employ the people that we do employ and to enables me to say to as many people, it's a much bigger audience now that I can speak to. Yeah. Oh. Tea will be getting ordered as soon as this interview concludes. So thank you for that, Hamish. And both Joshua and I talk about tea on the podcast as well. And so um, I I don't want to go down that path right Well, fuck it, I do. And talk to us about tea. Talk to us about growing that. And are you, you're doing herbal teas. So instead of say black teas, green teas or white teas, you're doing mint, rose, hibiscus. Is that the type of thing? Yeah. So basically, if you have a look, basically I set when we set the secret herb garden up and uh, I was growing these plants to make herbal tea to, you know, it, it gained, you know, as a way of another, another income stream, but another way of working with mm-hmm. the plants. So, you know, we used the Tabasco, you've got the apothecary rose, we've got a lot of lemon verbena. So, we, you know, we've been growing these to make herbal teas and I was making them as herbal medicine. But I think what's more important actually is this whole message about why we got the Damascus apothecary rose. I mean, and how did that relationship come? And I think this weaves into the tea idea is that before we opened, I am a great believer. If you want to know the truth, go to the source. 
And one of mm. one of the best um, well-known, world-renowned herbal growers and nurseries in the world is a lady called Jekka McVicker. She's written more books and everything else. And I won't go into that. But I ended up, you know, writing to her, going down, working with her and gaining knowledge. You know, she's organic, but she's organic with a press of a button and a computer. And I love what she does, mm. but she's different to me. I'm, I'm not organic because I use nothing. Definitely not a computer, as you can work out by the start of this conversation. Um, but I, I remember saying to Jekka, I said, Jekka, why have you got no roses in your garden? She says, well, I can't have roses because they attract aphids. Oh, my goodness. Did that feel like a heavy weight to me and sat so, so ill with me that when I got back to the garden here and I thought, you know what? A garden, without a, a garden without a rose is like a body without a soul, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And so I made it a fact. And as herbalists, we only use apothecary rose and the damask rose. You, and I planted as many. I worked with a nursery that grew, that rooted them. And I grew as many with, for no known reason, apart from the fact that I thought, well, sod it. I want as many aphids because then I would like as many ladybirds and everybody else. Mm-hmm. Who am mm-hmm. I to be so arrogant to say that actually I'm cutting that out of this circle of life because I don't want aphids? Well, guess what? They're part of the whole chain of that that connectivity. Yeah. So I came and I grew shitloads. And we, we've got more mm-hmm. now to the fact that, you know, we've got more than anywhere in the UK. So, But I grew them and I grew them then to dry them to make herbal tea. You know, so if you came mm. to the cafe, you could have chosen, oh, I don't know, 15, 20 different herbal teas, um, all grown, hand harvested, no chemicals, so pure in their flavor. And our drying room is, uh, I don't want to boast, but it's its amazing. It's, you know, so it's 37 degrees, same as your body temperature, same as a beehive, dehumidifier. Um, you're bringing these plant, you know, plant material in such perfect condition that they dry uh, literally within 12 hours, you know. Um, oh, okay. And the full leaf. So there's none of these, what I call the floor scrapings of everything crunched up into one. It's full leaf tea that, that mm-hmm. we do. But I also do a Ceylon tea, a black tea that's ethically sourced. But I do that with a tea blender in Edinburgh called Pico Tea. And we're actually, funny enough, use our gin botanics. So we've made uh, three teas. We've made the rose tea with our rose petals, juniper, angelica, coriander, winter savory, mixed into the tea blend. And we've done it with the lavender, and we've done it with the lemverbena uh, as well. So it, it was just a, another way of me being manipulated, uh, of, of actually of delivering it. And, and herbal tea, to, again, is another way of um, allowing your body to pull the chemical compounds from the plants in a really beautiful, soft, sure. gentle way. Well, I have to say, as if this pandemic didn't have me, you know, experiencing cabin fever and going stir crazy, I so desperately want to jump on a plane and come visit all of this, Hamish. I want to see all of this and experience all of this. (laughs) Well, there's an invitation. I mean... Thank you. I, I would love to. I mean, if there's one thing I do love doing, it is sharing. I mean, Joshua, and I, I, I do love sharing it uh, and sharing the garden with as many people. So our gardens are open to the public. You don't need to come for tea or coffee. You know, you can see mm. 2,000 juniper bushes growing with fully laden berries on them at the moment. You know, so it's, it's here to be physically viewed, not just sort of talked about in any marketing context. Come and see it. You know, mm-hmm. see the drying. Brilliant. In fact, we're you know, um, we've just put plans into our local council to upgrade the distillery to 
I'm going to say it's all singing or dancing, but increase the drying room, make it all glass so people can see it as soon as you come into the distillery. It's a glass frontage, you know, uh, bigger still, uh, more of a uh, visitor center. But again, all sustainable, you know, like everything, you know, so from um, solar panels to, well, you know, as you can imagine. Um, mm-hmm. And on the same foot, footprint that we have, but just make it, Add to that visitor um, appreciation of, of what it's really about. Yeah, yeah, that's it's fantastic. I I have not forgotten and will not soon forget my my trip to to see you and to see the garden, and and to walk the garden with you. Of course, we were all wearing shoes and and you were you were barefoot. Um, that was another story. <laughs> uh, but it, it was it was it was a treat, and it was it was a treat to see both the gardens and how you produce the gins. For our listeners, and please Hamish, correct me if I'm wrong here, but for our listeners, I think normal gin production uh, producers are taking a neutral grain gin, they're macerating their uh, various botanicals in some sort of a basket, and they. Uh, they, they rectify that spirit in with, with the botanicals after a certain period of time that the, the spirit has been with the botanicals. It's now sort of infused with those, you know, flavors and, and compounds and so on and so forth. Then it's diluted to around 40% alcohol, chill filtered, put into a bottle, boom, Bob's your uncle. Mm-hmm. But your process of gym production is quite different because I think you're not not to say that other gym producers don't care about the botanicals they're putting into it but my my gut tells me that you're focusing first and foremost on on the botanics and secondly on the on the alcohol that uh, that's also in the bottle completely yeah so could, could you go into that yeah, that process of course you know i probably spent too much time but it is that the number one process is obviously growing the botanics um primarily so there's a couple of things here you need to know one is that we don't artificially heat anything you know we're just growing i only grow the botanics that grow naturally um with us um so if we want a, a citrus style of gin you know you've got your lemon verbena there i get citrus from lemon verbena um, so the first, the first thing is growing the botanics, and secondly, hand harvesting them. Thirdly, putting them in the drying room. Now, once you've got them in the drying room, you'd be like any, you know, for any other distiller, they'll show you the jars of the dried botanics that they're getting from wherever in the world. You know, we, we can actually show you the living flesh. What I always say about um, the neutral grain spirit is it's like a painter being given a blank canvas, you very rarely ever ask the artist what you know what canvas have you have you used um, to create your painting, especially any of the sort of you know masterpieces. And it's like, well, it's the color from the botanics that give you the picture of the gin. And hmm. for me, it's we have a variety of colors and shades that no other gin distiller can possibly even think, especially in Scotland can even think that actually exists. I've actually given them, you know, I used to advise other distillers before I started up here what botanics they could and couldn't use. Um, <laughs> so it's bringing colour to the gin. But there's two other things to the gins that we do. 
is one, I also, we also make what's called plant distillates, a water plant distillate. I touched on it earlier. So you're absolutely right. You make gin by your rectification and your infusion. Um, yes, it's like a big tea bag and you boil up the alcohol and the fumes go through the botanics and they condense and that is gin, as long as you have over 50% of juniper in there. Um, but we also do separate right. distillations. And I said to you that alcohol is a fantastic way of extracting certain plant chemicals, and so is water. So water collects all the aromatics. If I was to use fresh rose petals in a gin distillery, you would absolutely steal all that subtlety of flavor and the alcohol, you'd lose it. You might have a subtle, subtle amount. I make you a water distillate on fresh rose petals. It is, well, you know, it's so concentrated and is the essence. I always call it, it's, it's the essence or the soul of the plant um, by, by using that. And then, you know, to add to this, we then use the petals of the actual roses to... So I'm going to use your damask rose that you've got as an example. The base gin mm -hmm. is made up with juniper, angelica, coriander, winter savory. You know, grown here, easy. The mm -hmm. rose, so when you taste that, the rose is coming from fresh rose petals being distilled to give you um, like a... a I mean, it's like a rose water. If you carried on distilling that, you would eventually get oil. But just as a water, you add a little bit of that into the gin and that changes it. That's when people have our gin, they go, oh my God, that is just like real roses or, you know, yeah. the lemon or, you know, I think you've got pink elderflower and jasmine. And it's another story I can tell you about that one. But, mm -hmm. you know, you've got fresh rose and then the color. Well, that color is coming purely from the flower petals themselves just infusing, once you've made the gin, once you've added your rose distilled waters, the colors come infusing it on the petals. And the fact that the gin then turns pink, so in, it, in, its, in its state that you would buy it, it's golden. And the reason it turns pink is when you add the tonic or squeeze some fresh lemon in there, it's an anthocyanins that's in the flower petals. Um, mm. And at school, they do a thing called uh, red cabbage water as a pH indicator. So red cabbage water is purple, squeeze, lemon juice turns pink. Well, this anthocyanin occurs naturally in, in, you know, quite extremely in, in the plant kingdom. But there are certain plants, flowers that have lots of it. And I have literally about sort of 16 different flowers that I grow specifically for this anthocyanin. And it's a little bit of fun. And what I always said to people was, you know, open the door to the magic of herbs. And for me, this sort of color changing thing that happens with the rose is a little bit of fun. It's a little bit of magic that Mother Nature um, can show you. When you add your tonic to the rose gin, it turns pink. Now, the pink elderflower and jasmine, we do have two very large jasmine hedges. We've got a glass size, the one I talked to you right at the beginning, but obviously all, mm -hmm. all, all, all um, completed and um, et cetera. Um, but we've got two huge jasmine bushes there and you don't need much. So we pick some of the jasmine flowers, you make a fresh distillate from that, and tiny, tiny amount. And the same with the elderflower. It's fresh elderflower that's distilled that goes into there. And I'm going to let you into a little secret how we get the color of that to be, to be pink. There's probably too much information again, but we are using um, some violet petals and some, a, a small amount of rose petals, but mostly these violet petals. Um, and then we're adding a little bit of fresh organic lemon juice to that. And it just turns it that most beautiful pink color that you've got. And then when you go and drink it and add tonic to it, it will continue to turn even more pink. And that's coming again from purely from the flower petals. 
So when you're making gin, you make gin. So we do that. But then we're also using the actual body of the plant by... So I always say it's like we're using, you know, three parts. We're using the bones like like um, everybody else, the dried bones of the botanics. Well, we're using the dried plants material, but we're also using the body because we're using the actual flesh of the, of the petals in themselves. And then you get to the yeah. essence and the soul by the water distillate. So we're, in our gins, you're able to use the whole plant is in this bottle. Not just one part that we're distilling. It is, you know, it is body, soul, and 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 bone. It's the whole thing. Wow. wow. Sounds like your own commitment, Hamish. All three aspects of the self. Do you know what? Yes, probably. Actually, in in hindsight, if, if I could be blessed, <laughs> if I could be blessed enough to make that um, as a as a goal and as an objective for life, then yeah, I would love that to be that goal and objective. Yeah. That's that's remarkable. Really, really cool. Do you mind if I ask you a question on the the business side? Yeah, of course. I know that. I know that. I know there's other people employed for this, but you're you're clearly a man who's been immersed in in spirits and wine for a, for a good while here. Mm. And how, as someone who's seen it up close, how? I'm saying this very poorly. What am I trying to ask? Um, why have we seen the rise in gin fanaticism that we've seen in the United Kingdom? Has has something driven that? Has something been behind yeah. that? Why gin? Am I allowed to say... And why yeah. why did that happen? Yeah, well, I think it's sugar, if I'm going to be honest. Uh, the flavoured gins have really... Um, driven the new growth that it's opened up to a new market segment um obviously for me i would never use sugar on, on, on in any of our products so it's uh but I, I you know sugar and then so sugar making gin liqueurs which you know, it's debatable whether it is a gin i mean i'm not going to go not going to go into that but um you know you've asked me a question it was gin liqueur, it was these gin liqueurs these sweet 20 percent gin liqueurs that people thought they were drinking gin now, before that, it was mm. it was basically your Gordons and Tankery and whatever, you know, it was a very traditional drink mm-hmm. gin market. Then suddenly you open the floodgate to a whole new market segment and then compound that by making pink gin, you know. <laughs> then you've got another huge growth. But bear in mind, what you need to look at is some of the sugar contents on these products, you know. Um, for our gins, I like using fever. You're, you're, I like using a light tonic. Fever tree is the lightest at two point one grams per hundred mil. You know that's the lowest mm-hmm. I can find. I, I like that, but you'll find that if you had two large of these sweet gins, or even the pink ones from the bigger companies, you, two large measures. That's you taking your sugar your sugar allocation for the day. Wow. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So to answer it, that's why uh, it's grown. And, and what I do hope is that. You know, I, I have been asked to make liqueurs. I won't do it. I made a beautiful honey and violet one for Fortnum and Masons from, um, they've got rooftop hives in, in their street in Piccadilly. And uh, I've used some of their honey and, and our violets to make. And that's the only way I'll add um, sugar. I've also grown stevia here as well. And I've experimented with stevia to make an old Tom. Again, no sugar. You know, so I'll never make a rum because I won't use sugar beets. So it's just 
it's just a small thing that I, I, you know, I think we have to be, everything's balanced. Don't get me wrong. I love my chocolate. Um, so, you know, I, I, again, I'm not this sort of, I won't eat this and whatever. I, again, it's balance, yeah. you know, but that to yeah. answer your question, that's, that's what sort of, and I, I suppose part of me in, in the journey, you know, the color changing gin thing, I didn't want that to be, Oh, this is a color changing gin. No, it yeah. changes color for a bit of, a bit of magic, a little bit of a smile, um, but it's a gin. It's a proper gin, you know, yeah. juniper, yeah. juniper lead. Yes, we're adding other botanics in a way that's probably not been done before, but it's 100% plant-based. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, I've, I've got a, a handful of gins that I consider my favorites or my go-tos, um, and and they're all delicious. They're all, they're all very good. But one of the things... And, and, and I'm not saying this to prop you up. I'm also not saying this to put other gins down. I'm just saying it because it's my perception. My favorite gins, when I taste them and I look for the various flavors, it's almost as if the flavors can be a bit of an approximation of what those flavors should be. Mm. It's kind of like going to Google Translate and trying to translate a sentence into another language. You get an approximation of what that means, but the translation isn't perfect. Whereas the gins of yours that I've had, it's the essence. It's it's inescapable. It's they are the true flavors. And and I'm curious, is is that, you know, again back to some of the technical um conversation around the gins is that due to the to the water distillation and and if so how are you incorporating the water distilled botanics into the alcohol mm -hmm. distilled botanics yeah so the the alcohol distilled tonics are done in a completely different still the water distillates we've got two stills we're about to have a third one but um we have a one still that we keep for the water distillate so it's just all you know very clean uh, mm. And what you're doing is you are adding some of that water distillate, that fresh essence, what I call of, of the roses, the lemon verbena, for example, the elderflower, the jasmine, into the gin, but in a way that you're only adding a very small amount because it's still a gin, but you want those flavors to be pronounced. I love the way you said it. I, I think also, you know, it's there in, in terms of whiskey. Obviously, whiskey are, are using wood and water and still shapes etc to to make their nuances and and location obviously and it's the same with wine you know i think wine's probably an even better one to choose for that you can always tell when you've got a fantastic glass of wine in front of you there's a truth to it you know there's um in france i suppose they call it terroir but you know there's also been real true to the grapes um you know, you put your nose to one that's had sulfur and everything else, you know, too much, it's, it doesn't doesn't hit. For me, it's about purity and clarity. And if our gins, when you drink them, I think that's what makes me smile so, is that people get them and it's this sort of, wow, you know, I didn't know, <laughs> I didn't know that you could do that. And it's that exactly mm -hmm. that sort of wow factor that I love and that you can sit back with it and... No, this is going to sound, but you can actually befriend it. Obviously, alcohol is a balance. You know, we all know that. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. you know, there is a balance to be had. To sit back and just think, oh, do you know what? This is what I need. You know, um, and 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 I, I love gin. I also love whiskey. Don't get me wrong. I spent my life, but funny enough, I'm a blended whiskey drinker. 
um, like my father was. Um, Yeah. So I'm glad you feel that because that really is what it is about to me. Yeah, I I definitely do. And and it it makes me, and and of course our listeners know this because we will tell them in the intro to this podcast that, you know, being with Impex Beverages, um, you know, I have been excited to, to, to finally start bringing these gins in after visiting with you. Christ, it seems like ages I ago. Think it, now, was but ages. it was only two. Yeah, it feels right? like I mean, right. it, yeah, I know. <laughs> Thank you, 2020. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's it's something that I'm 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 so very much looking forward to. Quick question for you: Do you what was the first gin that you created, and do you have a favorite amongst your line? Hmm. Well, yes and yes. First, obviously, Apothecary Rose was the one that blazed the way for me because I wouldn't, you know, as I said to you, I wouldn't be here without that. So the Apothecary Rose is the, is the starter. Um, you know, we, we also do a Christmas gin and uh, we do a wild gin, which is very close to my heart, which I hadn't made by when you came over, by the way. I don't know um, whether you've tried it or whether, where we are with that. But um, in fact, actually, there's so many wild plants there that might not pass your FDA uh, plant database. Um, actually, I'm sure they wouldn't. Um so it's a bit like having five kids. You don't have favourites. However, there is one I always stretch out to to have a drink. Um, and there's, it, I love the floral, but there's a gin I can have. You know that sort of time. It's a like, you know, I, to be polite would be like, you know, say six o'clock is a drink time. But actually, you know, pretty much after I'm finished this, I will have a drink. Um, the lem, the Lemverbena is a drink that I love having, the Lemverbena gin, because I don't need to think. I suppose that's why I love blended whiskey is I don't have to analyze, think. It's like, oh, please just give me a hit of this, um, yeah. you know, and it's like an old friend. And so that lemon verbena to me and I, we grow a lot of lemon verbena and I've grown it for herbal teas for, you know, since day one. It's been one of my favorite plants. I, I've got to stop saying that because I say that about so many plants. But I suppose it's that sort of stretch out. And then if I want to, you know, I suppose in summer, I, I do need to think about let the rose and, you know, the elderflower and things all do. You can't not let them overtake the thought process because they're there. So your brain is having to connect with what your palate's been given because there are so many, you, you know, your palate's picking up so many flavors. It's like, oh, OK, hang on, you know. What's going on here? Whereas the lemon verbena, that's my shot. It's like, yes, please. You know, just give me ice, lemon, long tonic, boom. And I'm happy in the snow as we are today on the height of summer with one of those. And and yeah, as I said, not allowed favourites, but there is one I like to put my hand out to get. I was going to say any time, but I'll be polite. After five, you're among friends, I think, I think that's such an important point. Jason and I have had this conversation, you know, between ourselves, but also with, with many of our podcast guests. And, and more specifically, over the course of 2020, where it seems more often than not, what we reach for is what's giving us comfort, what we need for comfort. And and I know myself... Uh, when my day is done, I don't want to, I don't want to use my brain anymore Mm. in the places where I don't need to be using my brain. (laughs) And so I'll just find that really good, comforting 
whiskey. I don't need to think about it. I just need to know I enjoy it. Boom. And then, yeah. and then take a breath. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, my old man used to smoke Johnny Walker Black. When we had in Rarity, we, we had our own blend. And um, um, well, Dad gave the original formula for that. And so we based our blend on the original Johnny Walker Black, which was uh, prior to being a 12-year-old. And it was unlabeled. It was only becoming a 12-year-old when Shivers Regal brought out theirs as a 12 to compete. But, mm-hmm. you know, you find a good blended whiskey um, or a good gin, you know, a good gin that you can just sort of think, oh, just come on. It's exactly that. And I think it's a really lovely way of putting it, just to be comforted that, you know, we're living in pretty bizarre times at the moment. And so old friends are best. <laughs> yeah, Indeed. it's also hard not to start drinking at 10 a.m. every day. Hey, Jason, did you have any further questions for the good Hamish? Did you want to ask our... Uh, our, our closing questions. I didn't I want to cut you off. Do, you yeah, I was just prepping for that. And, yeah, with with an eye on on wrapping this up, uh, you know, taking up time from everybody here. And, and Hamish, you've, you've got to get on to your afternoon gin here. <laughs> yeah, I do. Um, so <laughs> we're closing in on that. Um, and so we, we like to get out of here with, with a similar question for everybody. And it's, it's taking on a, a more pressing... Um, more pressing need in these pandemic times but as you cast your eye to the future clearly you're talking about the expansion of your distillery um as you look through 2021 and and we all hope for an end to pandemic living but even 21 even into 22 what's something that's got you excited what what has your eye as you peek into the future (laughs) so here, here here's the deal I am the worst person in the world to look at macroeconomics or the macro world of things. Um, I haven't read a newspaper in maybe 20 years. I don't watch, I don't watch telly unless it's a film. Um, obviously, I'm aware of what's going on, even surround, you know, family and everything else. Um, I, on, on a macro level, I hope we wake up to the realisation of, of how we need to start treating the earth how we need to start having a deep respect and working with that. And we haven't got much time. And I know there's lots of arguments. I'm not going to go into any of that. All I can say is Mm -hmm. that each and every one of us need, in my opinion, only my opinion, need to have a connectivity to Mother Earth. Once you have that connectivity, you'll do everything you can to help protect her. And I think maybe the one thing of the pandemic is people have realized that actually she is there for us. We've just been running around too fast to to miss that. Um, And so I think that's a big up. I think there's a big positive that people are going to realize I don't need to fly off to X, Y, and Z, you know, and put a whole load of fuel in. Why have they gone and put so much plastic on, you know, on this? What are we doing? Mm-hmm. So, uh, you mm-hmm. know, I'm hoping that that will be come to the fore. And in, in a, my own funny little way, you know, teaching gardeners how and plants people how to plant and work with plants with, you know, I, we, we, I work with three charities here. So we've always got two people here from... Well, we've got a naval scop, you know, it doesn't matter, but I'm always getting people to get their hands in there to taking people around the garden to say, look, we can do this. So on a bigger picture, I'm hoping that we understand how fragile and how much support we need to give her in the long run. You know, anyway, we'll do our course Um, on the short term. What I look forward to now, you won't believe me. 
uh, but across my garden, I'm looking at, um, I do get planning permission for it, you can believe it. My, I will be moving my office to uh, a huge tree house. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, oh, I love this. Underneath my tree house will be the aviary for my owl with a hatch where she can just come up and down to my office. At the moment, she's in my office, as you know now, and she sleeps here and oh, she has goodness. the whole freedom of the house to fly around with. Um, but I, I cannot wait to have, and the treehouse has been built um, with no bolts, no metal, no glue. Uh, we have the most beautiful man here who works with carpentry, but in a very natural way. So uh, it's three meters up, and um, I think my wife's petrified; she'll never see me again if, if once that's up. So I'm looking forward to the treehouse. Yes, I'm looking forward to building, um, and, and you know. Uh, a new distillery, but I'm also looking forward to, we've got two wetlands areas that we want to cultivate again to get more wildlife uh, attracted to this, mm. this area. So gotcha. on, on the macro and micro, uh, macro as mentioned, um, let us all touch her. And on a micro, can't wait to be in my treehouse. Absolutely love wow, it. Wow, those are both thing. fantastic. And in listening to you and in listening to the plans, um, my wife is a wildlife ecologist and we actually have wild areas in our back garden. We, we only have a half acre, but we are working on wildlife habitat and organic gardening. Um, and I can just imagine my wife coming to visit you and um, just staying. Um, and then my, my kid, my eldest kid, just turned 14 yesterday, is very much into carpentry. And wow. I listened to you saying, you know, we, we've got a local guy who does these beautiful, you know, carpentry. And, and that's what I'd love to see my kid move into as well, using his hands. So, gosh, I, I could bring my whole family and uh, they, they might, you know, never leave you, Hamish. Well, the idea is to bring the whole family here. Do you know, it doesn't yeah. matter if you're 99 being pushed in a wheelchair um, and taking the scent of a sweet pea to remind you of your youth and bring tears to you or you're a mother mm -hmm. breastfeeding or you're bringing teenage kids. It's that is the key, you know, yeah. and for this space in its yeah. own little way to be able to communicate that. And, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm hoping one day, you know, I get to come back over to, to America to help, you know, help help with the gin and, and help, you know, spread the message further. But it's exactly what you're doing, you know, is turning over our mm -hmm. gardens to invite nature into our lives. And actually, it's the most freeing thing because you don't have to control. You just let it happen naturally. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, mm -hmm. the, it's the easiest way of gardening. Anyway, quite right. You'd love it. Can't yeah. wait to show you. Awesome. Yeah, we will be there. Thanks ever so much, Hamish. What a what a treat speaking to you today and, and learning more about it. Joshua was was raving about the potential for this interview and saying you'll you'll just love Hamish and you'll you'll thoroughly enjoy listening to him and his passion and his energy and you've lived up to the advanced billing, Hamish. It's been an absolute joy. Yeah, well, I've I really loved it. I, I have to sometimes be careful that I don't get too carried away. And that was me trying to be careful not to get too carried away. <laughs> well, you're talking to two guys who get carried away in their whiskey tastings all the time. So Brilliant. Uh, I really mean it when I say you're among friends. Brilliant. Oh, well, thank you so much. Thank you. Once again... Thanks to Hamish for his time and his, his wonderful, wonderful company. But thanks to you for, for bringing this to us as One Nation Under Whiskey and, and me as co-host and on behalf of our listeners as well. That's the type of chap 
that we all need to be listening to and finding a way to support. And I don't just mean that by buying his gin. I mean supporting his philosophies. Yes, right? yeah, exactly. Exactly, because some people might listen to that and think, oh, you know, here's a hippy-dippy guy. Listen, it doesn't hurt you (laughs) to be kinder to the earth. It doesn't hurt you to pick up after yourself. It doesn't hurt you to, if you're hiking and you see a bit of garbage on the trail, to pick it up, right? I mean, these are all little things that we could be doing just to look after your local surroundings, right? And I, and I think yeah, that, that, in the end, is really uh, a, a takeaway that one can have. Yeah, when you and I concluded that interview uh, and Hamish had, had shut down his screen and, and had gone and you just looked at me over the Zoom and you said, wasn't that great? <laughs> <laughs> and I, I just, you know, I'm sure I still had, you know, deer in headlights look on my face after just being amazed for the full duration and just being like, yeah, that was, that was good. (laughs) It was really good. And, and, you know, uh, one of the things that one of my takeaways now, granted, I'm more familiar with Hamish and, and with his garden, with the gins than you were, but what I wasn't familiar with was his deep familial connection to Scotch whiskey in the, in the Scotch whiskey mm-hmm. industry, right? Mm-hmm. His, his dad helping to start the Keepers of the Quake, right? And, and him starting that program at, at Harriet Watt and, of course, Inverarity Blends. And there were some single malts bottled under that label as well that he told me mm-hmm. about a while ago. But I, I didn't know how deep that connection had been so it was really cool to hear that he does come in in part to this from a whiskey background or from you know whiskey has in some ways informed his approach to to creating these spirits yep yep i i really meant it when i said it in the interview i i cannot wait to get back to scotland for a host of reasons and getting to actually meet hamish face to face wander in the garden with him, drink a cup of tea, uh, see the new build on the distillery. It's going to be brilliant. Cannot wait for that. Yep, He's in our future. And likely have another another episode around it. You know, I'm I'm sure he'll resonate with our listeners and I'm sure having a follow-up somewhere in 2022 is not beyond the bounds of imagination. Agreed. So... The interesting thing about this episode, at least the timing of this episode, is we don't really have any news to be breaking. We also don't have any new emails to be sharing, but we did receive something in the mail, and I wanted to bring that to our listeners' attention. You already know about it. In fact, I'm going to be sending one of these off to you. And our listeners will, will, will know what I'm talking about in a second. We received a package in the mail from, from a dear listener, David Feldner. He's also uh, you know a, a very dear single cast nation member. And so you know I, I, visit the, I visit the post office about once a week. I check our mailboxes, see if we have any checks coming in. 
or if we have any invoices that have come in, and uh, <laughs> and and so on and so forth. And I checked my my PO box, and there was one of the yellow cards in there, which tells you you received a package that's a bit too big for the size of your PO box. Oh, that always that's a, me. That's a good start. Yeah, it's always the size of the PO box with you. <laughs> uh, and and so I was excited. So I, I delivered my my little yellow card to the post office worker. The post office worker gave me a box that I want to say was around, you know, five by five by five inches, a, a cube, if you will. So I opened the box, and inside the box was a little note, and these wooden. It almost looked like a a coconut cut in half. And mm. and the outside, right the 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 convex side of of the coconut shell uh, was you know burned or branded in some way with with you know some really nice patterns in it, and and then these like almost like wicker rings that came along with it. So okay, so well, let's read the note, and so so the note read. <laughs> Chase, I, I like the fact that the note was on top and you just went, I'll just bypass that. Let's see what's in here. Isn't it terrible, right? It goes back to being a kid, right? And it's your birthday and you get a card. Oh, and birthday you open, card, boo. <laughs> you open the card, where's the check? Where's the money? Okay. Oh, they also they also wrote something that, that I meant to read. <laughs> right, right, okay. Um, your your mom or your mom is busy reading the card <laughs> over your shoulder. <laughs> that was me just squeezing out a little cork here. Mm. If that was picked up on audio, I'm just replenishing. Be- because I because I don't learn my lessons, I've been enjoying a little bit of Kilholman during our recording today. This is the Fino Sherry Matured Release, one of ten and a half thousand bottles in 2020, and 46 percent alcohol. Just a, an easy go-to Kilhoman that I hear that your hot mic is picking that up too. Well, yeah, yeah I, I, it's, it's no longer Passover, so I can drink whiskey, and I decided uh, to, to pour the same with you. Is this, because you usually observe, Pat, you, keep, you have a Jewish household, right? Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. you usually observe, even though you yourself are not Jewish, you like to observe the holidays. Did you, did you keep, and we will get to David's letter here, but I want to talk about this for a second. Did you keep kosher for Passover from a no drinking whiskey perspective? And if so, I didn't, I didn't indeed. You did? Was this your break fast, your break whiskey fast whiskey? Look at that. It is indeed. It is indeed. And I have thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah, today we were. We were Jews on Easter today. We drove from our house. We, we live about 15, 20 minutes from the Costco. And we drove into Costco. And the car park is completely empty. <laughs> <laughs> and we just looked at each other in the car. And we were like, it's Easter Sunday. Costco is closed on Easter Sunday. Yep. And we all looked at ourselves and we said, Jews on Easter. Both my boys totally dug it. <laughs> I I did the same thing. Oh my gosh! Earlier, uh, Delma said, "Dad, do you know how to make paninis?" And I said, "Of course I know how to make paninis. Can you make me one now?" I said, first off, I don't have time, and we don't have any bread." <laughs> she said, "Can you make them later?" I said, "No problem. We'll have it for dinner." 
So <laughs> when I was done with whatever I was doing, I hopped in my car. I headed to the store. I was going to get bread and fresh moots and pesto. And wouldn't you know it, it's Easter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, t- tomorrow was busy texting me that we were going to pick up a new lawnmower battery oh. uh, from Lowe's. She was going to order it online. I was going to swing by and do curbside. And she texted me and said, Lowe's is closed for Easter. And I was like, that's ridiculous. No, no, Wait, it's not. It's, it's, a, it's a weekend in the spring. Like, people want to be in their gardens. Why would Lowe's be closed? Lowe's was closed for Easter. And then we pulled into the Costco parking lot. And Costco was closed for Easter. Easter is like a real thing. It's it, like a it, big deal. It, it is. I was, ra- I was raised with Easter, but I was also raised in the UK. And I know that this is a four-day weekend in the UK. Mm. And I know that, you know, you know, on Easter Sunday, you're probably still going to be able to go to the supermarket for some portion of the day. Full closure. Like, we already had a holiday Friday. There's a holiday Monday. Sunday. Come on. That's pushing it. It's a big deal, Jason. I mean, Easter and Christmas, those are the, those are the big... Right, those the, those are your signposts for Christianity. Those are the two biggest days. That's what I told the boys today. I was like, "These are the, like the high holidays for Christians." Exactly. Exactly. Yep. 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 And so, final comment. And then we will get back to David Feldner's <laughs> note. But every Easter, I think of this. When I was fourteen, fifteen, yeah, my mom bought me a box of Cadbury's cream eggs. Oh yes, and there were there were there must have been forty eight maybe cream eggs mm. in the box, mm. and I finished it in a week. Wow! So hold on. Yeah, hold on. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna breaking out the calendar. So forty eight, you he's said taking off his socks here. Yeah, he's Divided taking off by. his socks. So you ate it. you ate six point eight five seven one four two eight Cadbury cream eggs per day, but never more than that. <laughs> I tell you, Paul Newman had nothing on you in left hand Luke. <laughs> left hand Luke? Cool hand Luke? Cool hand Luke. Cool. Did I say left hand Luke? I meant cool hand okay, Luke. Dad. Okay, Dad. Okay, <laughs> Dad. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> so, yeah, every Easter I think about those 48 Cadbury's cream eggs. And I look at my kids, and, and today my 14 year old was hanging out with, with friends as, as part of the, the Jewish social group at, at synagogue. And they had a bunch of snacks, and he ate four donuts. And I was like, four donuts? And then I stopped myself because it's my annual remembering of eating almost (laughs) seven Cadbury cream eggs a day for a week. Uh So I don't think I've really got a leg to stand on. Anyway, so back to David and his his brief missive. That's right. Which you you had issued. I had a shoe, but I'm going to unshoe it. I'm going to reshoe it. Anyway, left shoe it. Left shoe it. Cool left, shoe it. Cool shoe it. Cool shoe Luke. Got yep. it. Cool shoe Feldner. Yep. Cool left shoe. Cool. <laughs> Joshua and Jason. These are hikaras, and I'm going to spell that for people. J I C A R A S hikaras. Handmade by artisans. Why does it sound Japanese when you say it? I'm just waiting on Hikara-san. Hikara-san. Okay, I'm going to move on because you're getting real racist real fast. 
These are jacaras, handmade by artisans from Oaxaca, Mexico. These traditional mm. hand-carved gourds, so they're gourds, they're not coconut shells, gourds, are used all around the region to share and enjoy the unique, complex characters of mezcal. They're definitely the proper barware for sipping and drinking mezcal neat, while holding in the aromas and actually stealing a little bit of your mezcal. The ring, oh. right? The ring, remember I mentioned that 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 sort of uh, wicker ring wicker. thing? Is a plant fiber base, so you actually sit the hikara on, the, on that wicker ah. ring. And it just says, I hope you guys enjoy. David Feltner. Oh, so cool. So very, very cool. I've been okay drinking my mezcal from an espresso cup, but I know it's not accurate or traditional. And so, uh-huh. I'm so glad. Is there glad. a PS? Yeah. Does he I'm, mention this? I'm so glad you brought that up because, you know, I reached out to David <laughs> and, you know, to thank him. And and I to wanted thank him, of right, course. Of course. And I wanted to make sure that he was comfortable me announcing this. I didn't want to announce it without his approval. And and so I sent a picture and I said, Jeepers, this is so generous of you because it is incredibly generous. And he says, you guys got me thinking about proper drinking vessels. And I didn't <laughs> think the espresso cup was the correct one for mezcal. <laughs> so he goes on, he says, so when I found them, I thought I'd share. There you go. That's brilliant. Yeah. yeah, that's very, very much appreciated. And as as people who like to drink our, our whiskey from the right glass, arguably our rum from the right glass, but now to have the correct vessel for the mezcal, I'm just going to enjoy it even more. And wh what I'm going to do is I'm going to post a picture of the hikaras on our Facebook page, both both Single Cast Nation and in One Nation Under Whiskey Facebook page, when you see these things, you wouldn't think that these are proper drinking vessels because they're so wide open, right? When we yeah. think of these 40% alcohol and above spirits, we say, okay, that's got to go into a Glencairn or a tulip-shaped glass because you want to focus those aromas. And this is doing the opposite. It's totally opening it up. That's why I've been using the espresso cup, is because yeah. it's a small enough vessel to pour mm -hmm. into, but it's, it's then open, and the nose is allowed to just escape, to not become focused. See when, I don't know if you've done it yet, absolutely take this new drinking vessel that you have for mm -hmm. mezcal, mm -hmm. and pour the same mezcal into it, and into our spade round glass, or into a Glencairn, Different experiences, completely different experiences. That's why I've been using the espresso cup because it's the only vessel I've got that's small yet open. And so you believe the experience of mezcal in your espresso cup and then soon the hikara is, will be the truer drinking experience? Correct. Interesting. Interesting. So you feel as if I'm potentially, or anyone, is potentially missing out on things by not having mezcal in a proper drinking vessel. 
Oh, 100%. And it's it's not just me. I was at a mezcal tasting with the mixing glass. Gabby had arranged one, and it was the chap from Ray Cambero. And, yeah. you know, the, the first thing they were saying was, if you're coming to us from the whiskey side of things, just like you said a moment ago, you're used to focusing aromas. Here yeah. we want to relax with the aromas. And the actual, hmm. you know, the, the traditional clay vessel out of Oaxaca hmm. is just flat and wide open. It's almost like a, like a raised-sided saucer. If you ever put your cup in a saucer. Oh, yeah. It's yeah, yeah. almost like that. And so it, it is this opening, this softening of borders, you might say, to hmm. to enhance the experience of, you know, enjoying another culture. That's that is that is absolutely lovely. Cool. Yeah, I, I haven't tried mine yet. For some reason I was I've been waiting to to when I can send you yours and then we can enjoy it together and do the and, and now and actually I'd like to do that. I'd like to do the side by side with you. So Oh, indeed we shall. Let's roll it into One Nation Under Whiskey for one of these end segments. Beautiful. So we've pretty much reached the end of the podcast, but I want to say a couple of things. Are we going to let people know how they too could send us something special? And that's what I was going to say, Jason. Uh, firstly, David, this was beyond generous. You you didn't need to send us uh, these, these hikaras. It is so lovely receiving that and we we thank you we thank travis travis previously had, had sent us some glasses and a glencairn holder and people have sent us uh postcards and have come to the jubilee gifting us bottles and of course vadim you know with his glencairn toppers it's, it's, people are so incredibly generous and and i want to thank david yourself and anybody else who sent us notes and gifts and so on and so forth. And so if you want to send us a handwritten letter or a note or a postcard, or if you want to gift us something. I like your use of handwritten letter. Like you could also use a typewriter, a stenograph. No, nope, 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 handwritten. <laughs> Only handwritten. Uh, I, that, I've that's, seen both that's... of our chicken scratches. We should not be imploring anybody to handwrite <laughs> letters to us. Uh, you can send us whatever you want to send us hopefully just nice things please to P.O. Box 335 and that's in Guilford, Connecticut G-U-I-L-F-O-R-D C-T is the state code 06437 and if you don't want to send us anything uh, a letter or whatever you can always email us right because we love receiving emails and you could reach out to us questions at onenationunderwhiskey.com Yes, Jason, you've got a surprised look on your face or something. <laughs> That's not my surprise look. Um, <laughs> just as you mentioned this, we it's not an email that we would have turned into a question for the episode, but it was a thank you from dear mm. James Foster mm. when we covered mm -hmm. his tariff question yes. email yes. on yeah. a previous episode. James writes, thanks for addressing my question so thoroughly, exclamation point. Mm -hmm. And for the kind words, I miss being with you guys, including the Queen of the Boxes. And Jess Lomas mm -hmm. is most definitely the Queen of the Boxes. Kudos to Joshua for getting the hidden TTB reference. Good on you, mate. By the way, the word that cracks me up every time I hear it is unique. Mm -hmm. 
I think of a dad joke. How do you catch a wild rabbit? You sneak up on it. <laughs> how, how do you catch a tame rabbit? Oh, that one I don't know. How do you catch a tame rabbit? Tame way. You sneak up on it. It's so funny you read that out loud. I felt like I needed to blow my nose. And this is allergy season for me. So I'm used to my nose running, then being blocked, and then running, and then being blocked. So tame way, unique on it, actually gave me a visceral reaction uh, in the old olfactory system. So that's brilliant. That was good Good to hear from James as well. That's always a pleasure. Yeah, it is. So many I, good I, people. I'm, I miss him. Yeah, the last time I think I saw him was at Jubilee, Seattle. Oh, gosh. Yeah, 2017-ish, maybe 2018. Anyway, uh, so thank you, James, for 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 thanking us for reading your email. But it, it was nice hearing from him. And so if, like James, you want to reach out to us, again, questions at onenationunderwhiskey.com. You can always find us on Facebook. Just search One Nation Under Whiskey. We have a page. We have a group. You can post questions there. Uh, Twitter, we're at One Nation Whiskey, and in Instagram, we are at One Nation Under Whiskey. And Jason, if you had to choose between having the word whiskey with an E or without an E, and then incorporating that spelling into everything that we do, which, which spelling would it be? No question. No question. No E. As we no say e. in Scotland, get to fuck. That was I was talking to the E. I wasn't talking to you. I wasn't talking to our listeners. I was talking yeah, to the E. Yeah. E. Get to fuck. Get to. How, how do you spell get to fuck? Well, you could go with a G-E-T and then a space and then a T-A-E. Or, or you could combine it and just make it a G-E-T-T-A-E. Get to. And you don't even have to say fuck at that point. You just say get to. We do. Right? We just say get to. What's more impactful? Those in the know know. <laughs> <laughs> Jason, it has been absolutely lovely spending time with you. It's been a delightful Easter Sunday together, dramming on Cologne and then talking about Hamish and... Remembering good times. Well, I look forward to seeing you again when we record for Extra Extra. And we have a few other interviews in the hopper for future episodes of One Nation Under Whiskey I'm very excited about. I'm not going to say anything about that. Just know that I am excited about it, as I know you are as excited about it as I am, Jason. Do you have any final words before we bid our listeners adieu? We had an absolute blast watching Back to the Future for the most recent episode of Mates, Movies and Malts with Mark Watt. It was a quadruple M that day. It was a quadruple M, yes. Oh, that was so brilliant. Yeah, so for those of you that don't know, we have a third podcast called Mates, Movies and Malts where we invite an industry friend to sit and watch a movie with us. And you, the listeners, get to enjoy the movie along with us. 
If you're interested in that podcast, it is a Patreon. In other words, you do have to pay for it. Uh, but the first episode is free. You could just do a search for Mates, Movies, and Malts. And the first episode is is just you and me, and we're watching Raiders of the Lost Ark. But we had uh, Jess Lomas on to watch The Goonies. We had Ian Allen on to watch Blade Runner, Billy Abbott to watch Batman, and then just now Mark Watt with Back to the Future. And man, has that been a ton of fun. Yeah, as as always, listeners will remember the Mark Watt Maltstock episode where he had done his research to be able to get the knife in. Boy, did he do his research for that Back to the Future viewing as well. That was really tremendous. So yeah, those are my closing words. Go search out Mates, Movies and Malts with these two jamokes plus friend. Beautiful. On that note, Jason, it's been a time. Cheers. Get to. <laughs> You're still not talking to me, right? Who are you talking to when you say get to? Anyone who'll listen. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. up the gimp <laughs> where's Zed baby no where's Zed Zed's Zed baby Zed's Zed. I can't believe you allowed that quote to go by without saying the gimp's sleeping I can't believe you allowed that quote to go by without that response this is call and response 101 I know it's because I couldn't remember the line <sighs> I know I, listen if I can't be anything if I'm not honest, Jason. I forgot the line. If I wasn't worried about you before, I'm worried about you now. I, I just have homework to do, Jason. That's all it is. That's all. That's all. <laughs> this has never happened to me before. It's okay, Joshua. This happens to other guys at some point in their life. It happens. But if it happens for more than four hours, then I will see a doctor about it.